right, everybody, good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Derek. He's Derek's awake. Is anybody here awake? I want to say that I love this church. I love coming to this church, and I love a lot of people in this room, and many of you are my friends. And I want to thank you. Last night, we had an event here for one of our global missions partners, a co-refuge. If you're familiar with them, they do some amazing work for the kingdom of God in Uganda, and now they're actually moving missionaries into North Africa. Uh, It's really exciting, but we had an event to raise money, and many of you over the last few days have been here showing up, helping get this event off the ground, and it was inspiring, and I thank you. Thank you, thank you. Sarah would say the same thing. Uh, but they raised over $60,000 last night for the, uh, for the organization. Yeah. Um, so if I look tired, it's because I'm very tired. This looked like an awesome, I mean, it looks awesome now, but it did not look like a church. It looked, was super decorated. It was really cool. And um, we were here very late. And so, uh, of course, it's, my, um, it's Pastor Dave's turn to preach this week. Didn't plan that out, Grace. My bad. But I'm excited, uh, to be honest with you, this series we've been in is probably one of my most, fav- fav- most favorite series we've done since I, I can remember uh, being a part of OCC. Uh, the series is called He Is, and we've been talking about Jesus, who he is specifically, and what he is like. And if you've missed the last few weeks, you've really missed. Um, last week, I was at the fire station, and we were in the He Is uh, portion. Derek was teaching on He Is Rest for the weary. Gosh, I'm already crying. I didn't even start yet. Um, But I missed it. I listened to it online and almost everyone in my family, I have a large family, was here. And uh, I mean, my kids were texting me, my teenage kids, telling me how much they got out of the uh, message. I can't even look at them. (laughs) But it was so comforting. Like when I listened to it, it was like he was talking about Jesus is this rest for us. And we've all been in weary seasons and been dealing with a lot. And it just, you know, He's just, he's a good preacher. I, I like it. So I would recommend that you go back and listen to it. But he's talking about how God is sovereign and good, that he is, Jesus is the way. And like I said, I love this stuff. I love it. I've loved it for a long time because I believe that you need to really examine your, your thoughts about God, how you view him, how you see him. Uh, I felt like this for a long time since my early 20s. I read this book when I was like 19, 20 years old. It's still one of my favorites. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy, um, written by a guy named A.W. Tozer. I want to read you a part of it. This, this, is, this little part right here is stuck with me for over 20 years. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people have ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Awesome. So one of the things that was said about Jesus, what he was, was said to be like was, Jesus, he is the friend of sinners, friend of sinners. And that's where we're going to be today, friend of sinners. We're going to spend a, a bulk of our time, I'll just give you a quick overview of where I'm going, um, make, make sure it gets me dialed in. So we're going to be in Luke 7 quite a bit, and then we're going to land in the end in Hosea 3, 
Um, but before that, I want to explore some of the, the origins of this whole idea of Jesus being a friend of sinners, right? Because we could get up here and be like, oh, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And people, people love that, you know? Christians, modern Christians, we like this idea of him being our buddy, you know? Like, seeing the Christians come up with cool shirts, like, have you seen the uh, Jesus is my homeboy shirt? Um, I, if you want to go down the rabbit trail of Google cool Christian t-shirts, Man, there are some terrible ones, and I'm going to tell you about them. Uh, there, was a, there was one that says, uh, uh, it had a picture of a rock that was shaped in a cross, and it's like, Jesus is my rock, that's how I roll. And I was like, oh, the guy that, I mean, he thought that was so good, he put it on a t-shirt. Um, there's the Jesus is my BFF. Um, there was one that says, uh, have you met my best friend? And it had a, pink, a finger pointing up at Jesus, the name Jesus. It was like, have you met my best friend? I'm like, Oh, you got him, buddy. That one was good. Uh, what was the other ones were terrible? Oh, this one was awesome because I could picture myself as like a young Christian wearing this shirt. It was on the back of the T-shirt. It says, Jesus has my back. Does he have yours? And it was like, the guy behind you is like, oh my gosh, Jesus has your back. It's like, you got him, buddy, when you printed that shirt, when he made that shirt. Here's, uh, there's a million, and some of them are atrocious, but I love it. Um, this is the best one. So you've seen that, the show, TV, uh, TV show Friends, right? It's the greatest friends there ever was. Uh, Rachel, Ross, uh, Chandler. You guys know this better than the Bible. That's crazy. Um, just kidding. That's a pastor joke. Um, so it, had, it said Jesus in the Friends font of the show. And underneath it, it says, we'll be there for you. It doesn't sing, but I, I mean, it's the only way to describe what the t-shirt uh, was like. Thank you for laughing. I, I feel so much better. That's dumb, I know, but Christians love these slogans. Jesus is my friend. He's my buddy. Hippies like it too. Uh, Doobie Brothers, 1972, very famous song. Most of you may or may not know. Jesus is just all right with me. You know that one? Jesus is just, uh, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Night, I was born in 79, I had to look it up, that was 72, but I looked up some of the verses, literally it says, Jesus is my friend, Jesus is my friend, he took me by the hand and led me far from this land, Jesus is my friend, he's just all right with me. So hippies like it, uh, modern Christians, we like this whole idea that he's a friend of sinners, but Here's, here's where we're going. So when I actually began to research this idea, what I found was when you look at the landscape of the Gospels and what is written about this particular thing, it wasn't they, they were saying something nice about Jesus. It was an accusation. It was an accusation against Jesus. It was an accusation by the culture of his day, the religious people of his day. It was a bad thing to associate or even be around people that were, were sinful, let alone be called friends with them. It was an accusation. And here's what I found. When you look, when you start to dig through it and look at it, every time they made this accusation against Jesus, he responds every time with stories of repentance, stories of mercy, stories of God going after the lost to seek and save them. It's awesome. So we're going to look at a couple verses before we get into the bulk of, of Luke 7, but I want to I show you how this whole thing plays out. It's pretty cool. So Matthew 9, if you have your Bibles, if not, it'll pop up on the screen for you. Uh, Jesus is going to call uh, one of these guys known as tax collectors to follow him. So verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. 
And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at the table at his house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came wrestling or came, no, they weren't wrestling. They were reclining with Jesus at his, that'd be funny if they were like, Ugh, and they're wrestling with Jesus and his disciples. But it does say reclining. They're not sitting in recliners with Christian t-shirts on talking about the Bible. I'll get to the, what, what that word means in a minute. Um, and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but, they, but those that are sick. Now remember this, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So it's, you always see this uh, connection. We leave that out of the hippie songs, but it's tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is my tax man and my BFF. There's always this connection between the two. And like I said, when you see this word reclining, you, you gotta, we got to go into Middle Eastern times, right? So if a rabbi or a teacher came to your town, it was a big deal. There wasn't a lot of entertainment. These guys were famous, and they were the entertainment on some level. And so if you had money like Matthew, who is a tax collector, it's a very serious accusation uh, to be friends with somebody like this guy, you would, he would invite you to your house. This was very common. You see this all through the Gospels. And the way that they would do it is that the house would have a courtyard attached to it, and that's where the food was prepared and also most of the time ate. And it was open to, to everybody. So if, if, if the famous rabbi was coming to that, everybody in the town would know. The, the meal would be prepared, and people were allowed to gather outside that weren't even invited to hear what the conversation would be. It's much different than what we're used to. And when it says they were reclining, it's really weird. Uh, they literally would sit at these really low tables and lay down on their left side and only eat with their right hand and keep this hand clean. So they're literally laying down with their feet hanging around, and this is how they would have discussion. None of us eat like that here in our time. And also, if, if you were invited as a guest, there was this hospitality thing that was very important to this culture. So if you came, remember, they'd wear leather sandals, it's very dirty. Uh, that If you were invited to come to the house, they would usually have a, a basin of water for you to wash your feet. And they would also uh, kiss you. Like, it's weird for men, we don't kiss each other, but still to this day in other parts of the world, a greeting to a friend would be a kiss on the left, kiss on the right. I don't think anything about the lips that doesn't say that part. Um, but then also you get your head, this, this is important, you'll, you'll see this later, you get your head anointed with oil. So they're walking, the only way of traveling is in the sun in dirty, dusty roads. And so the sun would just be so hard on your scalp and your head. So it would literally, they would make olive oil with different scents in it. And they would, uh, you, your, your guest, you would pour some oil and anoint his head and he would rub it into his scalp and into his hair. And it was very soothing and smelled good. They didn't have showers like we do. So this was something that you would do for a friend, um, right? And so uh, this is what happens. And they see this and Jesus' response is, hey, I didn't come for anybody that just doesn't need me. I came for the sick. I came for the lost. I came for those that, that, that need healing. That I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which comes from the book of Hosea. And so that's one instance. And this thing keeps going. There's lots of times where uh, they're accusing Jesus of being a friend of sinners. One particular time, uh, some of these Pharisees start asking him about John the Baptist, this Jesus cousin. Jesus literally said, listen, nobody followed the law this whole law, these commandments, this Torah, Torah thing, everything you're trying to do better than my cousin. He did it the best. Nobody did it better than him. He lived in the wilderness. He ate the locusts. He never t t tasted a drop of alcohol. 
and he came with a message, right? So look here in Luke 7. Jesus has heard this accusation that he's a friend of sinners so many times. He himself refers to it in this passage. Look at this. This is very cool, too. Uh, this is where I'll probably get very excited. Um, 31, Jesus went on to say, to what then do I compare this generation of people? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating bread or drinking wine and you say, he has a demon? The son of man, that's Jesus, came eating and drinking. You say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Oh, man, so cool. So verse 35, Jesus is actually referring to Proverbs 8, uh, which is written about wisdom in the form of a lady, lady wisdom. It's really neat. It's where you hear the whole thing. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. So they would have understood that he was referring to that proverb. But see, he's saying this whole thing about saying a dirge and, and all these things. So the people that heard that would have understood it very clearly. It was basically like a, a nursery rhyme that they would have all grown up and known. And uh, this is really cool. So again, the biggest things that happen in these little towns in the Middle East are weddings and funerals. There's not TV. There's not a lot of big sports going on. Weddings and funerals. And they didn't do it like us where it's like a half a day where we have one meal and then we uh, celebrate. No, these were days-long events. And this was very exciting to the children. Right? This, this would go on and on. There would be huge celebration for days and huge um, amounts of days of mourning. And he's saying, look, you know, John came, and they, they, they were judging Don, John for being too tight. He was too tight, too conservative. His message was, he did everything right. I tried to follow this law, and when I've come to the end of it, all I know is that I have to repent. Repent. That's his message. The kingdom is coming. This, the Savior is coming. Repent. Mourn. Mourning. Mourn for your sin, mourn for your reality that you cannot fix yourself. There's nothing in you that you can do to make yourself right in the eyes of God. Repent, mourn, John's message. Jesus' message is the wedding, it's the dance. So when you come to God like John says and repents and you get close, Jesus turns your mourning into dancing. This is the message of the gospel and it's both things, right? Sometimes it's so hard to, to hear. All right, yeah, thank you. I didn't breathe for like three minutes. Um, my face is turning red. I was feeling my eyeballs start to bulge. But I was just excited. I mean, do you reckon, you hear what Jesus is saying, right? Like, it's, Christi- there's nothing like Christianity. On one side, it's the most difficult thing to hear. That we are rebellious, sinful, and we thoroughly deserve wrath. We deserve, we must own our sin. All of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short the same time, it's the, one of the mo- it is the most amazing thing there is. We are saved freely by God as a result of his great love. We sang it this morning. Without regard to our actions, in spite of my persistent struggles with sin, he loves us. He loves me. I will turn your mourning into dancing. Last one before we get into seven. This one's pretty cool. This one is very well known. Luke 15. Um, Verse one, now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Everybody's coming near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They're like flabbergasted at this point. It's happened so often. And here is Jesus's response. Here comes the stories of mercy, repentance, parable of the lost sheep comes right out of this passage. 
Does he not leave the 99 to go find the one, to chase the one? Parable of a lost coin, a very valuable treasure. Tears everything up, and there's much rejoicing when he finds it. The parable of the prodigal son, a father running towards a lost son. Stories of repentance, stories of mercy, stories of a father running towards a son. All right, parents in here, have you ever accidentally lost your children? Anyone willing to admit that? Oh, wow, everyone else in here is a great parent. It's hard to admit, uh, but I will say that I'm a bad parent. I've done it several times. Uh, it's the scariest thing. If you don't have kids, and they're, they're little, and they disappear for like 10 seconds, you immediately feel like you're going to throw up. Um, it's the worst thing ever. I've lost them all. I've got a bunch. It's probably why. Uh, there was one time... If you're unfamiliar, there's a surf contest that happens every year called Red Bull Night Riders. And uh, there's a gazillion people on the beach in the dark. Asher was little. Kaylee and Sadie were uh, super small. I think Sadie was still wearing diapers. I don't know why I did like that. I was wearing a diaper. <laughs> but uh, my nephew, Zach, was with him. And I don't know where Sarah was. This is a long time ago because they're big now. Um, but I wasn't paying attention. And they all, this whole trio, and Sadie was behind them. And they went over the sand dunes, and they were gone. And it was just me. I don't even think I had a cell phone at this point in life. And so I like get over there and literally just like, feels like 1 million people on the beach and none of them are my children. And you know, the panic set, sets in and I'm freaking out. Uh, and luckily they stayed together and they actually made it into the ocean when I found them. But that's not my worst one. I could, <laughs> I could, tell, you some, I could tell you some bad ones, but this one is the worst one. So about six or seven years ago, we got to go to Hawaii uh, during the pipeline uh, masters. It's the biggest surf contest in the world. Amazing. We show up, it's December, and ugh, by the grace of God, it was like the biggest pipe of, in several years. The, the waves were 20, 20, 25 foot faces. We rent a car. My kids are big surfers. I'm barely one. And we're driving down the seven, uh, seven mile miracle. It's a beautiful place. And we drive by Sunset Beach Elementary School. We're all excited. We get it, found somewhere apart, and we're running up into the clearing to get to the beach access. And I, I kid you not, it's just right there, and it is absolutely incredible, the sight of these waves. I mean, just massive barreling waves, just not even, just, they, they would break, and it would, it would shake the beach. It was like, we were standing there in awe of what we were seeing. It was so big. I mean, boards were getting broke. Dudes were coming out injured and bloody. Remember that? It was like they were chasing broken surfboards down the beach. It was so, it was amazing. And there is, it's just a big deal. There's thousands of people on the beach and the beach slopes down and it's very shelly uh, sand. It's not like our sand here. It's kind of hard to walk in. And me, just in my awe of what's going on, I didn't realize that one of my children, Kennedy, uh, had decided that he, this wasn't that amazing. And he wandered away because he saw a chicken. Uh, and there are hippies that live in Hawaii, probably fans of the Doobie Brothers, and they want their chickens to be free range. And so he was like, oh, chicken, you know, well, chicken, 20 foot surf. I'm going to go follow the chicken. So he, he, he wanders off and goes and all, all of a sudden you're like, man, this is the coolest experience ever. And you're like, missing kid, you know, anybody seen Kennedy? Sarah completely relaxed. He's like, he'll turn up. The, the other children are like, ha ha. They're looking at me like they can see the panic on my face. Just last night, they're like, dad, why are you so stressed? I'm like, you can tell just looking at me. And I'm like, okay, you know, you do the thing where you don't want to cause a ruckus, like, like get too, you know, Kennedy, you know, there's a thousand people there. And you're like, you don't want to be the guy that's where everyone starts, Kennedy, you know, you start locking around. 
Sarah's like, oh, he probably went down that way. And I'm like, there's a lot of people. It starts to change. You know, you start freaking out. So at this point, I'm like, I have lost this child. And I'm just running around the beach. And it's hard running through this sand. And I go up to this huge tree underneath this um, the, to get back onto the road. At this point, I'm so hot. I take my shirt off and I'm just running around, screaming. I come, I'm making, I end up making huge circles around the same spot. And my children are making fun of me. I, Sadie can remember this today. She was little and she would, and she, I would come by, I'm sweating and she'd be looking at me and she'd be going in one spot going, dad's showing off his muscles. And she would like mock me. I'm like, will you help me, Sadie? Our child is missing. I mean, you will not believe where he was. The chicken went up that tree that I ran around seven times. He was up in the tree. He watched me run underneath, screaming his name, and said nothing. And when we finally found him and he's in the tree, he's like Zacchaeus, but I don't want to have dinner with him. I want to spank him. Like, you didn't hear me screaming? You know, like it was a crazy experience. But here's the thing I own it, I lost my kid. But now here's the truth for us in this silly story. He wandered off, didn't he? He walked away from me. Not necessarily intentionally, but isn't that what sin does to us? It's enticing, and we wander off. We walk away. We get away from God's protection, and now we're alone. He wandered off. Is that not what we do? How many of you Christians in here can admit that you continually sin? Like you find faith, you believe this Jesus stuff, you get saved, and yet like sheep, we go astray so many times. We walk away from God's protection, we get back into sin. Sometimes we end up in bondage to sin. We wander away. We are prone to wander away from our Heavenly Father. We sin. It's crazy to me that we can have this this revelation and this thing that happened to us on the soul level where we follow him, yet we just continue to sin all the time. And he loves us. And he continues to love us in spite of it. That he would call us. I think about things that I've struggled with over and over and over again, and I'm like, I can't pray and ask God to forgive me again. I don't even want to pray because I just don't think he would want to be around me like this, and then you realize he, he still call you his, his friend. I don't know if you've experienced anything like that, but I have. It becomes personal. It's one thing that he's a friend of sinners, but would he be a friend of me and my sin? Will he still accept me and love me and take me back into the house? Will he still run towards me when I continually fail? What happens when it becomes personal between you and Jesus? Luke 7, this is where it gets personal. It's not just friend of sinners anymore. This is Jesus is a friend of this sinner. It's personal now. It's personal now. Find yourself in these pages. See if you see yourself in this story. This is, this is an amazing story. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Picture how they have the dinner. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who had lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Amazing. She was known as a sinful woman. She had a tattered reputation. Everywhere she went, people judged her, mocked her, whispered behind her back. 
She had lived a sinful life. And everybody knew it. As they stood behind... As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. Scandalous, scandalous moment for a woman to take her hair down in front of the presence of men in the Middle East like that with tears. Scandalous. And she kissed them and poured perfume on them. Absolutely amazing. When the Pharisee who had invited them, saw this, he said to himself, here's where it gets personal. If, he, if this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Listen to Jesus' response. It's amazing. Jesus said, answered, Simon, I have t- something to tell you. He answers Simon's thoughts. Simon didn't even say it out loud. This is crazy that Jesus can do that. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Here's the most important part, 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave both of their debts. Now, which of them loved him more? I suppose the one that had the bigger debt is forgiven. You've judged correctly. And Jesus said, remember hospitality, how you treat a friend. Then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, do you see her? I see her. You guys don't even want to look at her, and I see her. I came into your house, and you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with my hair, with her hair. You did not greet me with the kiss of a friend, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the day where you get to see Jesus and he reminds you that he forgave your sin? You hear it from his own mouth. God loves us. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this that can forgive sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amazing. There's a couple of things I want to point out. Simon and this absolutely incredible woman. So Simon, I think, is like a lot of people. They were drawn to Jesus. They invited him into the house. They wanted to hear from him. They They were amazed by his teaching just like anybody else, but they wanted to know and hear his stories. But in their hearts, they refused to believe. They just, they could... It was too scandalous what he taught, that he would love the sinner, and it scared them in the heart. Tim Keller says it best. He says, unbelief is not just a lack of faith, of evidence, or a lack of arguments, and they argue a lot. Unbelief is the presence of something else. There is something within our hearts that resists and fears the message of Jesus, and all the evidence in the world doesn't overwhelm it, and I think that's what was happening to them, but this woman, let's let's talk about this woman. Right? I mean, the, the history of women in the Bible, in my opinion, is often overlooked. But man, their records of repentance are absolutely amazing. Have you ever, have you ever can you imagine? I mean, she should be listed among the greats of all time in Scripture. Like she, the boldness it took to walk in there. 
She risks so much. And what was amazing that she, if you do, if you do study of this, a lot of the commentaries believe that she'd already been around Jesus and heard his message and had already had an experience where she decided to follow him. And she was following him. And, they, and this is conjecture, but they believe that she, as he went into this room and she saw that they wouldn't even greet him with a kiss and wouldn't give him the, the water, that she was overcome and she poured out all her love on Christ in that moment because she just couldn't believe they wouldn't do it. And so here's the thing, when we, where are we in the story? Are we Simon or are we her? You know, when you realize what Jesus has done, that he forgives sin, he does the one thing no one else does, you realize that he desires this type of repentance from, from us. He's after our hearts, our love, our adoration, our worship, our attention. Why? Why does he want those things? Because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship like that with you and I. I think Simon lost sight of the fact he got so busy trying to follow the law and have a, a, a less sinful life. But what did Jesus say? Look, Simon, whether you have this kind of debt or this kind of debt, you can't pay it back. None of us can pay it back, whether it's large or small. But do you love me? Do you see those around you, even that are broken and are hurting? Do you see them? I see them, and I see you, Simon. You can build all the walls that you want, to try to make yourself look clean, but I can see right through him. Simon was accusing Jesus of not knowing the truth. And Jesus was reminding Simon that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. And is that not what we do? We try to block God with our good life so that he doesn't really see how we are. And we do it to our people around us. Like we just, we, we, yeah, we're, we're doing the thing. You can't see my sin. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. None of us in this room got it all together. We're all a mess on some level. All of us are struggling with a sin. All of us are dealing with something that is wrong. We're sinners. How do we respond to God when we reckon our own sin? Is it with this outward sacrifice? Or do we bring repentance like this beautiful, amazing woman from Luke 7? Sacrifice is outward. Repentance is inward. It comes from the heart of the person. And I, I would say God would say this to all of us today. Go and learn what this means. Seek it out. I desire mercy not sacrifice. Let's ask ourselves, what are we doing with our time and our faith? Are we, are we trying to learn what mercy is and repentance and compassion and forgiveness and grace? Where do you see yourself in the story? Are you a Simon or are you this woman? I think for most of us, we find ourselves somewhere in between a lot of the times, you know? It's kind of extreme, I know, but I think we're somewhere in between. I think it's better, though, if we were to have a, a, a repentant disposition hum, led by humility, that that would be the way that we function, that's the way that we would respond to others with mercy, compassion, grace. You guys that are Ocean City people know this is the ocean of grace. These are the kind of things that we know, we see in scripture that we should be moving towards uh, as Christians. Regardless whether it's a small debt or a large debt, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the thing, this is what I wanna say. I hope you hear this. The greatness of Jesus is not in just the fact that he can heal and that he does miracles. Those are good. We should seek him for healing if, we're, if we have an, it's something we're dealing with. We read that he is the great physician, but the greatness of Jesus is not what he can do in this temporary body, right? That's not what makes him great. That it is great that he can do it, but what is great about Jesus is what he can do in the forever, for even if he were to heal my infirmity, my appointment with death will still come. Every person that he healed in scripture all died. There is an appointment for us in this body where it will end. Our time will end. 
But here's the thing. Sins that are forgiven by Jesus are forgiven forever. Free forever. This is the work of the the cross. This is the great work of the cross that he forgives it forever. Yes, one day this temporary body will, will end. But the one thing that he does forever is free us from sin. Free forever. Free forever. We sang that the other night at the Magic Mavericks, Maverick City concert, and they were, it was amazing. And they just kept saying, free forever. And I thought about this morning, and it's like, yes, we are going to be free from ever, forever. Even if I, I still have these things that I'm struggling with in my body, it's amazing. He frees us from sin forever. This is the greatness of Jesus, the God that we love, who loves us back. Friend of sinners, we've been talking about stories of forgiveness, stories of mercy, stories of a father chasing down a wandering son. They're all parables that say what God is like, right? And I think uh, this is something that we should explore, but I don't think there's a better one than in the book of Hosea. We ref- desire, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, comes from there. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, it's about a prophet that marries a prostitute. First chapter literally says, Hosea, go, go marry this prostitute, and he does. He does, and he loves her. He doesn't care about her past. He finds her, and he just says, I love you, and she loves him. They love each other, and they have children. They have three kids, and he loves her. He loves her like I love Sarah. He loves her, right? The scripture says that she, she wanders away and falls back into her sin, falls back into prostitution, to the point where she's been sex trafficked. She's now owned by another. This is a picture of what God says. In Hosea 3.1, it says, Then the Lord said to me, this is amazing, Go again and love a woman who's loved by a lover and who's committing adultery just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. He says, go get her back. Hosea, go get her back. So you see, God Right here in this passage is saying he is a picture, Hosea is a picture of God, what God is like towards us. And we, we are the wife, we're the prostitute, we're the ones that have wandered off and now we find ourselves in sin that we can't break, we're in bondage. And what does he say? He says, go get her and bring her back. The the language of this book is amazing. Hosea's name literally means to save So he says, go save. That is your name. This is what you are. Go save her. Bring her back. And he goes. He goes. And at great cost to himself, he goes. Can you imagine the walk that he had to take to find her? He had to go to the worst places. Now picture Jesus. Jesus leaves glory and comes down here. He's born in a manger. Do you see it now? Born in filth. And here's Hosea walking streets that he should never be on. And who is he looking for? The one he loves. And she's gone. And he's in the worst places. These are not streets a prophet would ever be or frequent. These aren't people that he would associate with. These are not his friends. But he finds her. And the Bible says he buys her back at great cost to himself. And if you look at the different translations, I love what he says to her. Uh, It it comes out very tenderly. He says, stay with me now. Just stay with me now. Is that not what God would say to us? When he comes to rescue us, he's, you see, you got to remember that she was now in bondage. Can you imagine what she felt when she saw him coming, when she made eye contact with him, the embarrassment, the shame, right? But now she's owned by another. She had been bought to be used and abused and discarded. 
And the one that saves comes to heal her and restore her and bring her home. Friends, do you feel far from God this morning? Have you, are you struggling with a sin? Do you feel like you've wandered away from your faith? Are you struggling in any way that makes you feel like you are outside of God's reach? You are outside of God's hand. You are outside of his love. And that you're, you're in a place where, man, I don't even think he could call me a friend, let alone save me. God is a picture of Hosea, and we are like this prostitute. Now hear this in Hosea 2. This is God's response to us when we're far from him. He says of this in verse four, I love it. Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I will lead her tender, I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. He's gonna restore her. And I will make the valley of Akor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth And as the days she came out of Egypt, in that day, declares the Lord, you will no longer call me, you will call me husband and you will no longer call me my master. Now the valley, the valley of Accor literally means the valley of trouble, the valley of affliction, the valley of severe suffering. I will make this valley a doorway of hope. Are are anybody in this room in, in, in the valley? Are you in that valley? Are you, are you struggling? Are you f- afflicted? Are you, are you struggling with sin? Are you, are you in pain? Are you, you wondering where God is? You're like, I'm in this valley. It feels like death. And God is saying, I'm gonna come get you. Stay with me now. I'm gonna come get you and I'm gonna turn this suffering, this affliction, I'm gonna turn it into a pathway of hope that leads to Jesus himself. Jesus, the great friend and lover of our souls, wants to turn this into hope. And no matter how far you and I wander away from Jesus, he will always come running at great cost to himself. He would pay any price, and he did. He paid for it on the cross at great cost for me, for you. Why would Jesus do this? Why? Because you and I may never be able to grasp this here on this earth, but we are deeply loved by God. Regardless of what we think about him, his thoughts for us are unbelievable. C.S. Lewis said it this way, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work, or a father and a son, and I would add, her husband loves a wife, It seems impossible, weight of burden of glory, which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is, and so is he, Jesus, the great friend of sinners and the lover of our souls. Will you stand with me? Father, we worship you and we honor you, God. And there are people in this room just like me that we have found ourselves in the valley far too often. Far too often we have wandered away from you and we've gotten far away from you and we struggle and we hurt and we look up around and sometimes we don't see you and we don't realize, God, that you are preparing a doorway of hope that you are running towards us like a, a, a son that has had a prodigal and you're, you're coming after us like a, a husband that loves a wife, God. Father, I just pray that you would be glorified, that you would open our hearts, God, and that we would be able to respond to you in this moment. In Jesus' name.